You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On another episode of the Animation Deliberation Podcast, we are finally doing Season 4 of Attack on Titan. We go beyond the walls and even beyond the horizon of the ocean to see a new area called Marley. We have plenty to talk about, all that and more, right after these ads we have no control over. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. Sing along if you know the words. One, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Animation Deliberation, the podcast where we take anim- action animation seriously, but not too seriously. I'm your host, Suhara Lee. The beautiful vocals are by my co-host, Jay Scotty St. Clair. How are you, bud? Hey, Zuhair, doing great. It is very exciting to finally be almost up to date with this show. I feel like yes. much like our heroes on their ODM gear, we have been zipping through urban environments, zipping through forests with the occasional Titan <laughs> nipping at our heels, that being our conflicting schedules and whatnot. But we are here. <laughs> we are back. We are excited to talk season four and all the groundbreaking revelations that come with it. I thought you meant nipping on like our emotional heels. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about, but first off, we want to pitch one of the other episodes that we did with our uh, sibling podcast, Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast host, Matthew Carroll, came on to talk about The Boys Diabolical, which was mm. a really fun series. It was a fun episode breaking down each of them, and it was always great having another of the Stranded Panda hosts. But we also got an email from TJ Stafford that kind of broke down each episode that we wanted to burn through before we get to Attack on Titan. So you ready to go with that? Let's tackle this feedback. All right. So TJ says, just wanted to write in and give a few thoughts on Diabolical since I figured you guys were doing an episode sooner or later. Probably easiest to give my thoughts on each episode. Episode one. I think this was an excellent way to kick things off. I really, It really encapsulated what I could expect from the show, and I thought it was hilarious. Episode 2. The name says it all. I had a couple laughs at this one, but also, but then I began to question why I found it so funny and what that says about my mental state. Afraid to answer, so moving on. I'm not sure we want to answer that either. <laughs> uh, I think he skips over to episode 4. So he, he may have skimmed over the ones that didn't, you know, resonate with him quite as much, much like we discussed on our episode oh. we, we kind of <laughs> three had... was just a different font color <laughs> it was oh, okay. white for some reason 
In episode three, honestly, this one didn't have much of an impact. It was probably the weakest in the anthology for me. Nothing wrong with it, just didn't really stand out. Episode four, in the middle of all the ridiculousness of the show, we got a fairly compelling satirical commentary on the cost of beauty and fame. When things started going downhill for our lead couple, I actually felt very sad for them. Episode five, I like weird storytelling as much as the next guy, but this one took... This one took it, pushed it a little too far for me. I remember saying, what the f*** am I watching right now? On <laughs> one hand, I felt and identified with Skye and her loneliness in the beginning, but the sentient poop people? Nope, sorry, not for <laughs> me, but good for you if you enjoyed it. Well, that was my favorite, so. Yeah. Nubian versus Nubian, that poor kid, her parents are the worst. I did like that they subverted gender roles just a bit by making the father slightly more interested in the girl's well-being. The mother was just a terrible start to finish. It's sad when the child recognized the toxicity of the home and asked for the divorce. They also did Groundhog pretty dirty and bothered me how little the kid cared. Obviously, the upbringing was already impacting her future supervillain. Hmm. John and Sunhee. This was by far the most emotional story for me. You can really feel John's simple and relatable desire to save his wife. How many people died as a result of his actions? And Sunhee's disgust at John's actions combined with the inability to recognize it or hear her protests are so tragic. When Sunhee finally gets through to him and leaves to battle her cancer, it was brutal. Her last line about making her he remembers to eat without her just broke, just broke me. And the giant living cancer was absolutely terrifying. Mm. Last one, episode eight. They definitely knew the best. Excuse me. They definitely knew the best one to end on. It really makes you think, and I was very conflicted about it. On one hand, seeing flashes of Homelander's childhood does make you sympathize with him. On the other, though, seeing the size of his ego compared to his complete lack of empathy left a bad taste in the mouth. I'm mm -hmm. hesitant to call anyone irredeemable, but Homelander is definitely pushing it. Sorry for the long message. Feel free to use or discard any as you see fit. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. On this very thought-provoking series. I tried so hard like not to respond to each one of those because we just yeah. did the whole episode. So it's like, right. um, you know what? I think this whole email was just kind of a cool preview if you're a fan of the boys of like what all of these episodes are like. So if you have any interest in, you should definitely check out the show on Amazon Prime and then listen to the podcast everywhere you find your podcast. Yeah, definitely appreciate TJ's feedback and uh, the perspective there. I, I kind of fell off in the halfway through our episode that we did due to technical difficulties, but um, I definitely agreed with you and Matt in terms of Nubian versus Nubian and John and Sun He kind of being the bottom tier for me, not that they weren't entertaining in their own rights, but uh, I, I really liked what uh, TJ brought up about Nubian versus Nubian, especially, you know, as a child of divorce, I, I would have thought maybe that one would have resonated with me a little bit more, but he definitely um, brings a an insightful perspective there. But I have to disagree with him about episode three. Episode three I mentioned was one of my favorites. And I just, like Matt kind of brought up, it felt like it felt the most like in continuity with the TV show in terms of just depicting these heroes as despicable as they are and delivering us that over-the-top gratuitous violence that I'm here for. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm due for a rewatch of just season one, two of the boys in anticipation of three coming out. Mm -hmm. And also, I like that 
you know, we were jokingly talking about how we enjoy talking about some of the live action stuff. So we're trying to find like animated loopholes to get it to work. So the fact that the boys was like, now we got you to hear some animated stuff. Go talk about the boys as much as you want. Like, yes, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yep. I'm, I'm excited for season three. All right. Shall we get back to the realm of anime? Back to the land of Eldia and Marley and this awesome world. Yeah, uh, seeing what Marley is like was actually pretty cool. It took me a minute to kind of grasp in the first episode, like what was really happening. Right. And there is there is a level of just kind of like throwing everything out at you at once. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I need to watch like some type of recap video on YouTube or just do a rewatch of the season overall, because it is a lot and it's a lot to track, especially when a lot of this deception stuff type of comes in. Sure. And I think that this is kind of repeating the format of season three, where the first half is just building, 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 building. And then the second half is just like the stuff that we love about the show, because it did feel slow for me and all the captivating Hmm. moments while they were great. I didn't feel like there was enough of them. So I'm hoping the back half of the season kind of makes up for that. Yeah, I think those are fair points. And as much as we've discussed, you know, having the privilege of being able to watch this series in a continuous binge and not have those gaps in between, I really wonder what it was like for somebody that was waiting this long for season four and just to kind of be dropped into Marley with this different set of characters, like mm-hmm. how that made them feel and what they were able to recollect and whatnot. But it, yeah, I, I agree with you with the comparisons to season three. It definitely feels like the most unique and the biggest change up in terms of the attack on Titan format. Like Marley is just a completely different world. We got little snippets of it back in season three with Grisha Yeager's memories that Aaron was able to relive, but they really just drop us in like what felt like a, a world war one, maybe world war two, like no man's land battlefield with trench warfare and whatnot. But yeah, we immediately get introduced to these warrior candidates in Gabby and Falco. And then, People whose names aren't worth remembering because they died. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And then I, I do have to say the Jaw Titan. I I really like this new iteration of the Jaw Titan. It might be one of my yeah. favorite Titans so far, just in terms of the visual and kind of being like a lion on all fours and navigating the battlefield so quickly. But yeah, it it I think the biggest thing that it did for me um, is really created a new sense of compassion and empathy for those warriors that went to LD in the first place, that being Reiner, Bertolt and Annie, like Mm -hmm. as villainous and uncaring as, and callous as they were portrayed to be in those first three seasons. This really makes, makes you feel for them and understand why they would go to the links that they went to. And it really puts Reiner's like, like our theory of his split personalities into better perspective. And oh, sure. those personalities are at two such opposite extremes now too, because mm. there is a thing of like, I am, you know, fighting for the wall. I'm fighting for all humanity and like all that means something. Mm-hmm. But then when you see like Marley version of him, then it's to the extreme of like, the um the Eldians are devils and they're this and they're that and it's like right this is really fascinating just kind of like how much of a gap is between those two personalities as a whole now yeah he was basically a runt 
a total f up in terms of being like, like the weakest of the Marley candidates and mm. of the Marley Warrior candidates, and you really got the feeling back in like season one, two, and three that he was just so capable, and especially going into like season two and three, like he felt like he was the leader of the, of of the trio there. But uh, we obviously learned a little bit more about. Um, I think Porco Galliard's older brother was named Marcel, as I recall, um, how he was really supposed to be the leader and the fact that he got taken out by Ymir that caused Reiner to have to step up and, and become that leader. But even Berthold, who was, you know, the quiet and reserved one, seemed like he was more capable than Reiner. So, yeah, just gives you a completely different perspective on how nuanced and, and really well-rounded a character he is. I mean, he was just ready to die at that point too, like in front of Falco when he was sitting next to Aaron, he was like, oh, yeah. just kill me. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Like I just, I'm really fed up with this. And you could tell like how torn he is between his two, the two versions of him. Mm. And it's really just the, the admiration for these warrior candidates and how much he cares about them. And like this big brother fashion, Mm-hmm. which we see like uh you know the other characters like peak have a real connection mm. with those kids too so for them to right. have for their like safety and progression and well-being to have that much of an impact on the current warriors are really fascinating yeah and it's it's kind of interesting you know bringing up peak and the connection that she had with those other warrior candidates i want to say it was udo and and zofia it was interesting that the show decided to kind of endear us to these characters. And when, you know, Aaron makes his big reveal and and starts his attack on Marley, they really show us kind of what we, we only saw snippets of the first time around, as far as, you know, what happened in, in Walmaria with the, the sacking of Shanginshina. I always. Shiganshina. Shiganshina. Thank you. Um, But yeah, just seeing, you know, civilians women and children being crushed and when they're trying to save udo and bring him to the hospital it's like no this this kid's already dead like that was just heartbreaking and uh uh, i do have to say the whole reveal with aaron with him you know pretending to be a marlian soldier that was wounded i mean i i knew it was him from the very beginning but i do appreciate that the show like went out of its way to kind of keep that secret i always um, paid attention during the credits it, whether or not they credited um, this Kruger character as his voice actor, and they just completely omitted him from the credits to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, save that reveal and, and build that mystery. But I yeah. think when he fell over, I didn't notice, but in the middle of the conversation, mm. that's when it started clicking. And then mm-hmm. was it? It was a guy. Who had the attack attack titan before Grisha that was named Kruger, wasn't it? His name was Aaron Kruger, yeah. So Aaron Kruger Aaron was okay. named so after I him. Think, yeah. So the name kind of like clicked then, and I was like, wait a minute. Sure. Oh crap, that's Aaron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course when they were in the basement, like, you know, he was just speaking so intently and, and his voice was more abrupt, so it was like, Oh yeah, I'm more familiar with that version of the voice. Yeah, for sure. This is the first time that we've had a time jump, too. I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. Like, oh, right, the first right. three seasons are in the span of two months, except for the ending, mm. which is like two months later. So a total of four. But we mm-hmm. actually have four years, which is typically what we have to wait between seasons. Four years. 
<laughs> yeah. Aaron has gone from being a runt to quite the strapping young man. Pretty much everyone has different hairstyles. Uh, Jean's rocking his little wispy beard that everyone gives him crap for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mikasa seems to be losing hair the older she gets. Mm, yeah. She's looking more and more like Levi in some ways, which is fitting because, you know, they're right there on the same level in terms of their ferocity and ability with ODM gear. And they're related somehow. We just need yeah, to figure true. out. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Grisha earlier. Mm-hmm. And it, it brought up an interesting connection. Have you seen The Last Duel yet? I have. And I, I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed that movie. So without spoiling too much, you know how The Last Duel is like the same story, but from three people's perspectives on like very big extremes. Right. That's how we've seen Zeke's story mm. in terms of how we saw it from Grisha's perspective of he was a good dad and he was just trying to raise him to, you know, mm-hmm. be the warrior and stuff. And he doesn't know what, how it went wrong and why he turned on him. But seeing Zeke's perspective was really interesting about the other warrior kind of being the father-like figure to him and right. him like coming into the conversations where they're all mad that he's, you know, the runt of the warrior candidate and right. Very much like Reiner in that regard. And just kind of like how the stories, because his grandpa's telling him one story, his dad's telling him another story Mm -hmm. and both being like shoved down his throat of like who's right and who's wrong and what the, what he's supposed to learn and what he's supposed to believe. So it's like, as much as I didn't want a filler episode, it was really interesting seeing those two very different perspectives of what actually happened, how Zeke saw it, and how Grisha saw it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, an excellent point. And um, that surrogate father figure was, uh, I believe his name was Tom Zaver. He was the um, the beast titan before Zeke was. And it was just, he was just mm-hmm. a fascinating character. The fact that he was just so interested in Titans that he was willing to shave so many years off his life and just live another 13 years just to simply learn more about them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully somewhere down the line, we'll get to see what his um, version of the beast titan looks like, because given the fact that he just said he's not, he, he's incapable when it comes to fighting and whatnot, it makes me wonder, um, what attributes, physical attributes his, his Titan has. Um, but outside of that, their relationship in the the constant game of catch gives a whole new context to what we saw in season three from the beast Titan in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, his fastball and, and winding up. It, like, I understand why he has such a, a love for that now. There's so many connections to the early showings of each of these characters that just really never fails to amaze me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But on the subject, you you brought up Zeke's grandfather briefly in terms of his grandfather telling him a different story. We did get a little snippet of him as well when that that Dr. Yeager character greeted Aaron Yeager in the courtyard and kind of told him to stop messing with Falco because he was basically putting Falco and his family at risk. That's where we got the revelation that Falco was related to Grice, who was one of the restorationists that worked with Grisha, as well as his older brother Colt, who is, I guess, the prime candidate to take the beast Titan after, after Zeke, it was really interesting to see what a, what a toll the fate of his son had taken on him and how, you know, 
Grisha kind of abandoned his son, he had kind of done the same thing to Grisha. So just really grounds it in the real world in terms of how like the sins of the father um, can really be a, a general generational thing that's passed down. And I, I can't help but think of the Batman when I say sins of the father. <laughs> uh, that's exactly where my head went. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you remembered all those names because I definitely did not. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm good for something. I'm good for something. <laughs> Man, there's just there's so many directions that we could take this conversation, but I guess we can kind of focus a little more on the attack on Marley because sure. that was kind of the first big fight that we got, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And I, they kind of went with the non-linear stuff again, which was frustrating me because I sure. was really having a difficult time putting all the pieces together, especially right. when they introduced so many characters like Yelena. Oh yeah, who was part of like the scout exhibition, and then it turned out that Zeke sent her all along. But right. like, she's trying to fight Marley, but at the expense of parody, and it—it's a lot. It's a very convoluted plan. It's like schemes within schemes within schemes. Yeah, it, it took me a little while to get a full understanding of exactly what was happening as well. Um. But in terms of the attack on Marley itself, um, if I if I did have any kind of like, I don't want to call it a full-on criticism, but I guess kind of a critique of this first half of the season is that in some ways they're throwing so much at you. I, I kind of feel like I would have liked to learn more about, uh, what was it, the Tiber family? Like Willie Tiber? Yeah. The guy that, I, yeah. I, I have no idea. Yeah, it's like this family from Eldia that kind of like sold out the rest of the Eldians in, in terms of allowing Marley to defeat Eldia. And they and they had the Warhammer Titan, which was really cool. Like it was badass to see such a unique Titan um, in action and so many unique attributes in terms of like the host not residing in the nape, but actually like almost being attached to an umbilical cord that was in mm-hmm. a subterranean environment. But that was, that was one of the best Titan on Titan battles we've had in a long time. It was really funny just because like she was frozen in the diamond, but like her facial expression was, was like, well, frozen, <laughs> but like depending on the context of the situation, like you can just imagine like what she's thinking and how her face would be. This is just like, <laughs> like especially oh my god this was so cool when Aaron got the jaw tightened mm, like mm. just ripped off his limbs and then just shoved the diamond in his mouth and just kept crushing it <laughs> like I could just picture her going because <laughs> <laughs> just frozen yeah yeah man that it was like a what 1v4 fight yeah because he was taking on the Warhammer Titan the jaw Titan uh, the cart titan, as we've learned, that that's who Peak is with her her little unit that rides on her with the anti-titan ar- artillery. And then... The uh, panzer unit. The panzer unit, good call, good call. And then... I only remember that because of Zoids. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. That's a, that's a that's a pool right there. I love Zoids. Zoids yeah. was, was fun. It was a little too short-lived, though. Schneider, Jaeger, Panzer, and Zero. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, but who was the fourth titan? Was it Reiner? Rhina came up towards the end. Okay. I think after he already consumed the 
Warhammer War Titan. And okay. what's his face? Beast Titan was kind of further down, so Levi was dealing with him. So I guess sure. it was versus three. Two and okay. a half since Rhina came in later. Yeah, two and a half. Okay. Oh my god, Levi messing up the Beast Titan. I love how it's just like something he just knows how to do now because he's done it so many times. <laughs> right, right. But then I guess we got the revelation after the fact that that was all just a setup. Zeke. Yeah. Is a traitor to Marley. Yeah, yeah, it's so bizarre. Gobby was losing her Oh. Like, when she blows up, she blows up. Like, the the culture of Marley is drilled so deep into her brain. Like, it's Mm. so easy to trigger her. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, when she thought that Peak was a traitor, and then finding out that Zeke was a traitor, like, man, it does not take much to get her to flip out. Well, speaking of her being a Marleyan enthusiast and a diehard and flipping out, I'm kind of surprised this hasn't come up yet, but we talked about how much we would rage if something happened to Sasha. Yeah, it, I was... It, th- there's so much that I want to say because the, the her whole family was a big part of the way the story goes. I didn't want to just, like, put it and not talk about all of that, but I guess we sure. can just go to that, but... Yeah, well, it's a the huge way part of Gabby's story up, going forward, yeah. The way that she just hopped on, killed the, the garrison dude first. I mean, mm. I thought we were going to get some character development, but Jean kind of gave his whole life story right before he died in walking dead fashion. Mm. But then goes on in the way that she ever, she just like so happily wasn't, was it her or Jean that noticed the sound to begin with? Uh, it was her because she has the, the, the instincts, the hearing. Yeah. She's, that's been one yeah. of her attributes like going forward. She always hears things before everyone else does. Yeah. They were trying to get them to, to quiet down. That's when she snuck on shot Sasha and was just, ecstatic she was so happy about it and there mm-hmm. was a lot of dialogue of uh of well she shot my guys first that's why i hopped on the ship and killed her she started it and her dad like sasha's dad during that whole encounter which the way they tied that together was just so heartbreaking oh yeah but for for her dad to just be like it doesn't matter like we as the adults need to like make the change so that this stuff stops happening. Like we can't be killing like this. He's just trying to be the mature one. And then the kid who was the one that took her in and said, like, I want to be like Sasha and not hurt anybody and just help whoever I can picked up a knife and almost killed her until Mikasa got in the way. And she's like, you killed my big sister. Like I would have never done any of this for you. If I knew that you killed her, it was just, and then that's when you see like Sasha's dad finally break down and, the guy who Sasha was apparently in love with that made all the good food, like Nicolo. he was Nicolo. Yeah, Nicolo. Just man, all of that and the way that it connected, like I was not ready for all of that. Well, it makes me back think back to season two, where you know, don't get me wrong, I'll take any excuse I can to spend more time with the character of Sasha, but it did feel so out of place when we had that episode in season two, where yeah. it was a flashback to her spending time with her dad and rescuing. Um, Kaya from that like medium sized Titan and whatnot, but mm-hmm. it just shows what a long game they're playing here that yeah. all of that pays off now in season four. Yeah, I'm glad that they they waited as long as they needed to to make sure that the original creators like got the manga out and got the proper story out because all of these seeds that they planted definitely 
bloom to their fruition in this mm. in this season. Um, yeah, everything with Sasha was just a lot. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I I, I was. I was flipping out when I found out that that was the girl that she said. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, they, they connected it again to very yeah. early on in the first two seasons. Yeah. And she's talking about her big sis this entire time. And I can't remember at what point that Gabby realized that she was the one that, that killed her big sis. But it's in that moment where. um, Oh, yeah. Because Niccolo... she kind of came in gleefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The way that Nicola beat her and kicked her out and said like hey mister like you're the father you can kill a fur thing that's when oh right 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 okay that's when all the pieces got connected and it was interesting that when gobby saw sasha's dad for the first time the first thing she noticed was like oh that's a southern marlene accent i was like i'll act that it's southern (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah good call good call um, but it does make me think of one of the revelations we got as well when Falco dove in the way of that wine bottle that Nicolo was brandishing. Mm-hmm. That's where we learn that, you know, Nicolo had that exchange with Jean and Connie earlier on where he's like, no, you don't get to have this wine. This wine is reserved for Marlians. You're still Eldian devils. And it's like, yeah, yeah we're, we've established some rapport and whatnot, but you basically held me at gunpoint this whole time. It felt so out of character based on what we'd seen so far. Mm-hmm. But he was, in fact, trying to protect them. And that revelation there about what was going on with the wine and having Zeke's spinal fluid in there is really the maybe the start of, you know, outside of Aaron kind of laughing hysterically when he learns that Sasha died. It's really where, you know, I've always kind of said that Aaron's never been my favorite character and he kind of rubs me the wrong way, but he's gone full on heel now. He is mm-hmm. a villain. I feel like we are seeing, it's almost like Breaking Bad where we've seen the origin story for the world's biggest killer. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he chose Flock to be like his right-hand man, when Flock had that exchange with Hanji when she's like, you you knew about this wine and he just turns around and shushes her. He's got like just the most grin on his face. And I wish you of Irvin. Yeah, right? And even the way just so casually Aaron says like, you, the brat who killed Sasha, come with me. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought he was like laughing in a heartbroken kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. Like how did things get this out of control? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Connie took it as, like, what's wrong with him? Rightfully so. Right. Because, you know, they're talking about how they're, like, twins and stuff. That was, you know, seeing her die and then going to flashbacks of, like, kind of her last moments of prepping through that four-year timeline was was sad. And then, you know, you think that was the end of it. But then the whole situation we just talked about was the end of it. I'm just like, is this really the end of it? (laughs) Well, that makes me think of one of the flashbacks we got when they were all traveling together and they're basically talking about who's going to inherit the attack Titan from Aaron. And like, they all take turns saying, no, it's not going to be you. It's going to be me. And then Sasha tells Connie that he's too much of an idiot (laughs) to inherit it. And she's like, and he's like, you're an even bigger idiot than I am. (laughs) Yeah. 
And yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because of what we're saying about how it doesn't seem like he really cares, but he probably does. Like he said, he was like, I wouldn't let any of you do it because I care about everybody mm. that's on this cart right now. So it's like, right. hmm, especially the stuff that he said to Mikasa oh, about like, you're a slave and I want no wonder why, like, I always hate whenever I look at you and I'm like, you better check yourself right now. Yeah, I I. It's a tough pill to swallow right now. I really don't know what his end game is, but I have to imagine there's a bigger picture. Yeah, he's got to be in some way protecting them and and making them despise him just so they'll keep their distance from whatever he's got going on. But at, at this point, it's tough not to hate his guts, especially when he does the beatdown on Armin. Yeah. And then Mikasa's first response is to restrain Armin. Mhm. That was and tough was to like, watch. Gee. Yeah. And he even says, like, this is our first time fighting, probably because you never had the advantage over me. Ugh. Yikes. Yeah. All of our heroes are in prison right now. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. By um, Yelena and her right-hand man, who Anya, Anya Copone? Anya Copone? Something like that. I have no clue. You know, yeah, it's, it's interesting the first few seasons, as we mentioned, felt like it was such like a Germanic and medieval environment. This is like the first time we're actually seeing people of color in any regard. First, it was the, you know, the combatants that the Marlians were going up against. But now we're we're seeing just how much like our own world, this world really is. OK, I'm glad you brought that up because this is a point where I'm confused. OK. At what point in time? Do the people from the East make trade with the Paradians? Because was this like before? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Good this call. before the king wiped their memory? Because like she knew Mikasa's mom. Right. So if, if they don't think that there's a world beyond the wall, when did these trades and such happen? I guess that that has to lead into I yeah again I don't know what the the false history that was taught taught in Eldia and you know in the world between the walls but that does harken back to you know Commander Irvin and and his questions of his own his own father's curriculum that he was teaching him but somewhere along the line they mentioned that the Ackermans and the Easterners were kind of singled out because I guess they were immune to the founding titans influence so they were specifically targeted and, and for being wiped out and and some uh, other like big disease which they right. mentioned before because uh grisha was one of the doctors who was actually helping heavily with true, that. true 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 yeah yeah that, that's a good question um and it's like i really want to look it up but i don't want it to like spoil something that's happened in the back half but it really is driving me nuts how casually they're talking about like international trade and does it work like that yeah yeah and refresh my memory so mikasa is apparently royalty within this particular tribe or sex sort of royalty or just a family in high regard but again like i've only watched all these episodes once and i just i wasn't tracking what was happening okay okay Hmm. because they were like yes like we want this this and this like it is about money but like your family and the mark that's left on you by your mother is a big deal and we need to protect that and i'm like what and then aaron goes into the stuff it's like 
it's like it's your Ackerman blood that you have mm. like a mission and it just happened to be me by accident like you were supposed to protect the king or something I was like huh yeah I don't get it yeah that's again that's one of those things where like I said if I had any critique of the season it's just that it throws so much Everything. at you so fast yeah so yeah but it's good to finally um, be getting some some solid answers but like it's only the first half of the season so it's like we always say with every answer we get we get like two more questions yeah that's true and it's the last half of this last season ever so mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. hopefully they clean that up a little bit i mean it's, yeah. we're, we're praising them for being able to connect all these things together so it's kind of like we shouldn't be this uncomfortable but when you know it's the end it's like the game of throne vibes are just coming in it's like don't mess this up Mm-hmm. yeah and we did talk about Elena and just kind of how there was a whole time jump. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this upgraded ODM gear and how amazing it looks. Oh, yeah, it is totally badass and feels like they've as much as Marley was kind of representing what I guess in this world would be kind of the peak of technology and taking us from like a medieval timeline to, you know, 1930s, maybe 1940s. That ODM gear seemed like it was like something out of like kind of the spy era of like the, yeah. the 60s yeah it was yeah, badass because they were talking about how there was like you know they got some of the odm gear in marley and they were talking about how it's like similar to their like current technology and apparently they had like engineers and stuff on those first exhibitions and they were upgrading mm. their gear but it also reminded me of when we first saw the beast titan and how he was like inspecting all of this stuff sure I- I thought it was a Titan with intellect that was trying to learn. I didn't realize it was somebody from a different world trying to understand the technology to take that information back to their country. I think that clicked to me like during the season. Oh, that was the intent of his first visit. So for that to come full circle of like, not only do Marlins have Intel on how the ODM gear works because that's technology that they never needed. So why would they have ever seen it? But mm. now the Paradians are using Marleyan technology to upgrade their ODM gear to work with people and Titans. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then they and also talk about like how they built railroads and docks oh, sure. and stuff like that. But then right. I, I think it was Jean had his moment of like, you were really just setting it up for yourself and your own takeover and all that. It was never for us. Like these guys have been fighting titans for centuries Hmm. and when they finally get a break they just go to war like it's not even like let's have some time of peace yeah yeah the moments of levity are are definitely few and far between in this world but mentioning um zeke and his inspection of the odm gear and just what a long game he's playing it really speaks to his his commitment to whatever his his ultimate goal is the fact that he came across as so loyal to Marley for so long. It, it really has me questioning, you know, what, what his, his goals with Aaron are and, and vice versa. Like, I, I would love to see like a longer cut of the conversation that they had and kind of coming to terms as, as brothers and whatnot, but hopefully that's down the road. It's just kind of where we left off with Zeke and again, speaking to his resolution and the links that he's willing to go. He's got a thunder spear embedded into his stomach and knows what will happen if he makes any sudden movements. 
but he's willing to take himself out in order to take Levi out. And I do not like where we left off with that. And we talk about in every one of these podcast episodes, why does Levi need to have a conversation with every big Titan that he almost destroys? Right, right. It's always what messes him up. Yeah. Like, we get it. You are the coolest character in this show. You are a badass. There is no denying that. Just finish the job. <laughs> yeah, please. Don't do this to me. <laughs> uh, breaking my heart. Yeah. Uh, I did not like that one, but... Yeah. And then the other Titan just coming up and ripping her stomach open and picking up yeah. half of Zeke and shoving it. Like, ew. Yeah, that's got to be something that's unique to some with royal blood because if, not, if I'm not mistaken, that Titan had already been killed by Levi but was somehow able to reanimate itself just to go to those links to, to make sure Zeke was quote-unquote saved. Yeah, I don't know about the particulars of each Titan, but that also mm-hmm. was really heartbreaking that Levi told his squad that they could bring wine. Oh, yeah. On the exhibition, all of them changed around him, and he was like, oh, it was fine killing them, because now that I know, apparently I've just been killing my friends all along anyway, so I stopped now. I was like, dang. And then also seeing what happened to Connie's village, and all of them changed when they were explaining the gas and stuff, and I was like, that's tough. Yeah, it's, it's like the island of Paradis really was just this almost like ant farm just yeah. that was being experimented on and viewed as entirely expendable. And the rest of the world just saw it as a ticking time bomb. And it adds up to my, my Australia comparison earlier. Oh, right. <laughs> the, the Titans are just the giant spiders. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry to our Australian listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, uh, we know you're listening. <laughs> Man, it's like a lot happened, but a lot happened just so many different directions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They certainly threw a lot at us. But um, one of the things I wanted to bring up in terms of the animation, one of the biggest changes I feel like this that took place this season, you know, the artistic style has been pretty consistent throughout. We've talked about how they started to introduce, you know, more computer animated elements and whatnot. But my biggest takeaway from this season that really stuck out to me is in terms of the shading, especially facial shading. They've gone to using these vertical lines to cast shadows, which I really like. It's, it's a a different style, but it, it just really stuck out to me. And I can understand, you know, the, animators at production ig they've been making the show for this long and they want to do something to make it more interesting and you know keep themselves on their toes that actually is something they've been doing from the start have they i, I noticed it yeah. much more so I just, i've i've always I've, noticed it but i guess i didn't say it okay which is stupid because we're a podcast about animation i should have mentioned it but okay. i think it stands out more because their facial hair is just lines too so Maybe. the facial hair is blending into the shadow, so there just looks okay. like lines everywhere, and you can't tell what's uh, a sad excuse for a beard and what's, uh, <laughs> and what's shading. So I think that's why it stands out a little more. I thought you were actually going to point out the part that was bothering me, and that was the fact oh, okay. that the 3D look that they used on the Colossal Titan before, they've been using for all the Titans. Yeah. 
when the action comes in, it's fine because they kind of move away from it. But they pushed it on all of the of the nine titans more this season, and it seemed mm. really choppy to me. Like the way their hmm. heads and arms and stuff move just did not feel smooth. Hmm. And again, once that action hit, it was really good. But like the build up scenes of them like looking around or talking to the scouts or that level of engagement was just like. Uh, I think they're going a little too far with this. Hmm. I that's interesting. I hadn't really picked up on that aspect, and and what you bring up about the the vertical lines for the shading having taken place in previous seasons, I'll have to go back and and uh, re-examine that. But it it could be what you're saying. It might just be with more facial hair being being prevalent. But I I do think they probably turned it up a notch, and I'm curious to check out the manga. And see if that's something that they're kind of leaning into to make it more stylistically like the manga. Because hmm. I, I've seen like um, panels here and there from the manga. One of the things that really impresses me is like, especially with the depiction of like some of just like the regular Titans and whatnot. Some of those, it looks like they adapted it straight from the manga. Hmm. So as the show became more popular, I wonder if more people picked up the books and they felt an impetus to, you know, harken back to those original drawings a little bit more, but. Or just like with, uh, Marvel and DC fans, like you gotta know what's next or what it's based off of or what the influence yeah, was. Yeah, and exactly. You can't miss a thing. Yeah. I mean, that's how it was for me with, uh, I, I think the biggest stretch of this was the first time that I was watching Naruto Shippuden was I caught up on English, so then I was watching with subtitles, then I ran out of that, I needed to know what was next, and then I started reading the manga, and then once I caught up there, I was like, well, I don't read Japanese, so <laughs> I guess I'll find out when the rest of us English readers do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, while we're talking about some of like the production aspects of the show, like on our last episode of Season 3, you mentioned some of the um, stuff callouts with the the soundtrack and the opening and closing themes that you picked up on um, i have noticed that the song that they're using i believe to close out the episodes is called the rumbling which i think is interesting considering we've had the thread of this rumbling all throughout the season it's actually the name of the song of the next opener which is, oh, is a it? really good song my friend oh, was okay. like it's it's very metal and yeah. my buddy who I listen to metal music with all the time, he was like, I, I don't care that you're not caught up. Like you have to listen to the song. And I've been obsessed with it. Okay. Uh, so it's, it just, it, the, the mood of the opener does take a full flip. Okay. Okay. So I haven't watched like the actual opening video, but I've listened to the song so many times. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I might be getting a little ahead of myself. I, I think I read that somewhere and maybe I just, I think I was doing some side research on, on season four, trying to, you know, refresh my memory on some of these earlier episodes and whatnot. And I think I read that somewhere, but maybe I, I got confused. Yeah. The name of the song is called the rumbling and that okay. was like in the song okay. bunch too. Nice. Uh, but yeah, like you were talking about like this being like very reminiscent of, um, of Nazi Germany and whatnot. And the way that the, the chaos is kind of in that song. Like, da, 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 oh yeah. And yeah. the That's way that they're fun. marching with their rifles and stuff. It's just, they gave me the heebie jeebies. Like I love it, but it makes me so uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like they're chanting like war, 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 yeah. war. 
And I, I do love the, like, it's a kind of a completely different color palette. Like you've kind of got like black and white imagery with like this um, almost Splashes rainbow of kind color, of yeah, yeah. coloration to it. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting and does feel like propaganda. I really like it. Yeah. it's it, I actually don't skip over it very often unless it's like, okay, I really need to know what's next because it's been yeah. more dialogue than actual like events, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when it's not like that dire of a of a cliffhanger then it's kind of like oh, i'll just listen to it and that's when i'll like go through my texts and check my phone and kind of you know refill or go through snacks and things of that sort but it's catchy for sure for sure well where are we at here any anything else you need to get off your chest or do you have any speculation uh in the spirit of the german influence i will say that aaron is a douche <laughs> and i hope that there is a bigger picture and not like oh my god i'm an idiot i'm so sorry uh-huh because uh-huh. he's had like such a positive drive and everything and while he did make mistakes like it was commendable everything he was doing so like i i need this this character to like have a proper purpose again yeah i agree with you on that I, and you talk about his mistakes. I think one of his biggest mistakes, again, is making someone like Flock his right-hand man because it's interesting that... I never liked Flock to begin with. He's always been an unlikable character, but it's interesting that they have me wanting to see him die more than yeah. some of these Marleans and whatnot. Yeah. And one, of, <laughs> one of the most despicable scenes that comes to mind is when he has Commander uh, Sadis, Shadis, Keith, whatever... Uh, uh, yeah, I just call him like Commandeer Keith or yeah, Commandant Keith. Keith. Yeah, when he has him beaten up by the set of fresh recruits that he just got done training, like that's up. Oh, even the recruits, like, why do we have to train ODM gears? It's not like there's Titans around anymore, and like mm, you know, mm. we talk about just kind of like how unstable this military already was because nobody ever follows orders. So the fact that they even collapsed it, which again, like Elena, if you're trying to destroy Marley destroying your own military is not a good start at that no um especially when you just poked the bear too when they sent all of their forces like what do you expect to fight back with and it says a lot about keith that he actually like made them piss themselves in the last Mm. bit too because it's like it's Mm. not like you guys could beat me up anyways when uh when what's her face hanji was trying to get them to stop (laughs) right right he just took it like a boss i was like i'm so sorry that happened to you but that was a really cool way to go out yep for sure and i I don't know why but for whatever reason talking about keith i guess it's because he's a bald character it makes me think of commander pixis who we didn't spend a ton and ton of time with um in these episodes but i can't help but kind of say in jest that his drinking finally caught up with him yeah <laughs> which is funny because his right hand actually didn't drink at all she was the only one that's like what's wrong with you guys yeah for sure oh i can't believe we missed the fact that premier zach got blown to bits like his oh, head wow, was yeah. just flying through and yeah uh pixis became the new i guess kind of stepped in as a new premiere yeah it seems that way yeah and we and we talked about some of the more questionable actions of of aaron and that certainly seems to be one you know, I guess he viewed this as a necessary sacrifice. And don't get me wrong. It's not like Premier Zachary was the most savory person. He definitely yeah. showed a uh, that he had a 
fondness for torture, especially when it came to the the royal families and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But that act of terrorism, you know, he's not, well, I was going to say he's not getting many people to his side, but I guess there are, you know, you, we see protests happening in the, in the square and whatnot that say, you know, free Aaron Yeager. He's the only one that can save Eldia. So I guess he's doing something right. Yeah. That was the only bit that we really saw of um, the girl in the military police. What was her name? Hitch. Hitch, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the only time I really saw her, and then there was that dialogue of like why Armin always comes down to talk to Annie. Oh, and then yeah. Aaron makes that connection of, uh, oh, it's because you ate Berthold, so now you have feelings for Annie through those memories. I'm like, huh. All coming together. And then mm-hmm. the last character I want to bring up is we have the the ever so powerful queen Astoria who's just out in the country with her baby right now. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know any of this is going on. Yeah. And it seems like Aaron's done a full 360 from where we saw him uh, last season. He wanted to go out of his way to protect her. And now at, at some point he decided that she's a necessary sacrifice. Yeah. So I need answers. Let's uh let's wrap this thing up and get back to watching, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. I'm done for the day. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, I'll thank our listeners for continuing to tune in, and I encourage you guys if you are right there with us, getting caught up with season four and have just as many questions and jaw dropping moments as us, jaw tighten dropping moments. Sorry. Um, Shoot us an email, shoot us some feedback. You can do that at animation deliberation podcast at gmail.com or follow us at in, on Instagram at animation deliberation. Uh, I do want to give a special shout out to Andrew. He hasn't been appearing on these last few episodes, but he's continuing to do a stalwart effort with our social media campaign there. So we miss him. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what his availability is in terms to watch these episodes as fast as we are, but hopefully he can. Send he us some feedback. He's in three yet. No, poor guy. Poor guy. I had to. I had to send him a picture of um, peak yesterday, mm. and I was like, I can't give you any more context, but this is a new crush of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's a, actually a good point. We won't spend too much time as we're coming to a close here, but it is interesting how grotesque a titan she is, but how she kind of wins your heart in the end. She's kind of like this, I don't want to say goth, but very peculiar and quirky character with a heart of gold. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for me this week. So once again, thanks for tuning in. That's T O N I N. And for now, stay whelmed. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens 
and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. 